0: You're inside the Culture Classroom today with JT and Coach Weave. Today we're going to be talking about identities and what it looks like inside of your team. What's up, JT?
1: Hey, man. Uh, how you doing? Everything's good here in Iowa, except it's, it's freezing cold. It's January.
0: Yeah, well, that's. I guess it's kind of similar here. It's uh, 32 degrees in Madison, Mississippi. So, uh, I don't know. I'm looking outside the window uh, in my classroom and uh there's not a sun in the sky at all all gray clouds and it's cold so today man uh you know we're real big on identities and identities within our football team uh i think that's gonna be fun today to kind of dive in to look and you know see how you can maybe create an identity and what it looks like for your team
1: i absolutely agree and as lifelong sports fans you know, pro sports is full of this at all different levels. There are several examples that jump out on top of my mind, whether you're talking about the Orange Crush and the Denver Broncos or the Steel Curtain in the 70s or the Electric Company with the Buffalo Bills or even the Hogs with the uh, the Redskins in 1982 when they needed a nickname for their linemen. But nicknames kind of give people an identity and a sense of purpose, and, un- and-, and they bring unity.
0: Right. So the first thing I thought about was, uh, with us in Mississippi was NWO, the nasty whiteouts. outs, if you're familiar with that, and how that, that came about with them and what their coach and they have a belt and all that stuff. And we can get more substance out of that as we dive into the culture classroom today. So let's get
1: better together. People need an identity, a cause to rally behind, a sense of purpose, a group that they belong to. And as lifelong sports fans, I think about different examples that I've that have happened throughout my life. You know, the Orange Crush and the Denver Broncos, that organization started in 1960, and for 13 straight years they had a losing season. They had no identity. Their, Denver wasn't really a booming town yet. Uh, you had the mountains right there, but perennial losers. And then all of a sudden, in 76, they were a lot better. And then in 1977, that was kind of their breakout season. And when the team started to win and achieve a lot of success, Bronco mania spread like wildfire. All of a sudden, people were painting their houses orange. They were painting their cars orange. Uh, Orange was filling the city. They called their team the Orange Crush based on the soda that was flying off the shelves in Denver supermarkets. You had barrel Man and other people start to embrace this perennial loser and be like, hey, this team's for real. So in 1977, as the team started to win games, they started to become a, a real contender for the Super Bowl. And uh, while they got beat bad in that game to the Dallas Cowboys, they ended up beating the Oakland Raiders in the 1978 AFC Championship. And so just they, they made it to the Super Bowl, and for the first time, the whole city embraced this team, and it became a big party, and Orange all of a sudden started to pop up everywhere around Denver. And if you ask Broncos fans today, there's two defining days that made the culture of the Broncos. The first was that team being called the Orange Crush in the mid-'70s, and then the second was the day that John Elway came to Denver, and uh, he's still there. He hasn't left. Uh, he's kind of a big deal for sports fans everywhere.
0: Yeah, kind of kind of a real big deal, uh, back-to-back Super <laughs> Bowls uh, for him. Uh, the other one, you know, we, we dove into a little bit together, and I thought was really neat, and it was the electric company and how they got their name with the Buffalo Bills about turning the juice loose or turning the juice on. Um, you know, the the electric company brings back to mind, you know, the 70s. Uh, public television show. And another neat thing, JT, we were talking or I was talking with our offensive line and they're they're trying to have an identity. And it struck with me, I was dealing with the example of the electric company. And then we told them like, hey, what about the pancake posse? And they said, this sounds like too, too modern. That kind of struck me. He's like, I want something more rugged and this comes from one of our senior offensive linemen, Brendan Butler. He's like, I-, I want something more blue collar. So I think it's important as we go forward that the listeners understand and coaches understand that this identity cannot come from a coach. Uh, it has to be their identity. Uh, it can be, I guess you can play with it a little bit as a coach. Uh, I can tell you a little bit about what we do ARB wise uh, later, but um it has to be a common theme and a common identity. You have to buy into it. So obviously, our guys are not going to buy into Pancake Posse. They they thought it was too modern and too hip, and they want to be more blue collars. So that's that's pretty neat. And that's coming from a guy uh, that's going to be a senior offensive lineman that started for us for the last three years.
1: No, I think you bring up a great point there. Um, it's got to be the coach's job to sell the identity to the players, but not force it. There's a real big, there's a fine line there with buy-in. You, right. If you oversell. No, you know, it's going to be fake, it's not going to be authentic. Whereas, if you just plant the seed and let it grow, grow from there, from the ground up, that's where real change happens. It's really funny that you talk about the electric company. Uh, because I'm looking back over my notes here, and that name was coined in on December 7th, 1973. And just like the Broncos in the mid 70s, the Bills were not a winner, they're a perennial loser. They got OJ Simpson on their team, and OJ was going to walk out of Buffalo, but the coach promised, no, he'd give him a really good offensive line. He'd whip him into shape was the term they used in the (laughs) seventies. And OJ went on to be the NFL player of the year that season. And he didn't just forget about the electric company. He would take them out. They'd eat dinner together. Uh, OJ was very appreciative of that all the way up until the time when he gave this interview, which was uh, just a little bit over a year ago. But um, really interesting things can happen when you have an identity and your team bonds together uh, and special things can get accomplished.
0: Right. You think about the Redskins too, JT. Uh, They're yeah. all the line called the Hogs and that turned into like Hog Mania. So anytime you saw people uh, in, there was the old, I guess, RFK stadium. Yes. Was, what are they, are they pigs? Like, are they really the Redskins or the Hogs? I mean, everybody was dressing like a pig. Or a hog. And it's impressive to see how that little term, and that all it was was a coach saying, come on, hogs. And it turned into T-shirts and all kind of branding off of just calling them hogs.
1: Yeah, the team, the offensive line would pose together for a picture. There's a famous interview on NFL.com where one of the members of the original hogs in 1982, Kodak or somebody was offering to pay them $10,000 to take a picture with a hog. And this guy who was undrafted, he was an undrafted rookie, he's big, he's ugly, uh, not used to life in the NFL yet, and the fame. And they're, these sponsors are like, yeah, just stand here, we're going to take this picture with you next to this hawk. He's like, you're going to pay me $10,000 just to do that? And they're like, yeah, that's, that's kind of how endorsements work. Um, I think it's really cool, though, to think about because in that 1982 season, they were just like your team right now. They needed a, an identity. They needed a nickname for that group. And so they settled on hogs. You know, you think about hogs. And I grew up on a farm here in Iowa. We had about 200 head of hogs. And uh, they're nasty. They're in the mud. They're dirty. They, uh, they roll around. It's, it's smelly. It's kind of like your offensive line in the locker room, isn't it?
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly like that. You know, they're in the trenches all the time. You know, I think about games when they, they definitely do not have the cleanest jersey. Uh, after games, um, they do the dirty work they never I mean I never hear of a pig getting any kind of publicity. Uh, neither does offensive line unless something bad happens. but you
1: know I know I know another coach that their offensive line group they aren't hogs but building off that they are mud. Hogs like the mud so uh, their offensive line identity is all about being in the mud and it stands for misunderstood, underappreciated and determined. Yeah, that's and I think that's what it takes to, to be successful as a team, as a small unit, and to win games. And in Iowa, everything starts with your offensive and defensive line.
0: That's right. Same thing in Mississippi. Our school is kind of like uh, O-line U. You know, Sadiq Charles is the starting left tackle for LSU right now. Sean Rawlings, who just finished at Ole Miss, was a starting center. And Justin Malone finished uh, five years ago playing at Mississippi State. And then one of our seniors this past year just signed with the Naval Academy. So we've turned into the O-line U, and that's why I challenged our coach. JT, this is right up my alley with what we did. And, you know, I was a junior high coach for the last five years. And our head coach asked me to come up and be the wide receiver coach. And I knew when we went through spring ball that we were going to be very competitive at that position. And when I started talking to the guys, which I love Top Gun, uh, I love the, the soundtrack, I love – the fact the fact that it's F-16s, that it's the whole the whole gamut with Top Gun. And our school is right by an airport. And I, I saw our guys during track season and they were fast. And then we went through spring and they were competitive. So we started talking about different names. Well they came up with Money Crew and I, I really I was like, how does that resonate with us guys? So that's the way when the coach says, you know. You know, here's here's where you can direct them in the way that you know it, it kind of needs to go. But we came up with Air Raid Brigade, and we came up with the word brigade because of it's it's a unit below a unit in the military. Uh, so you have the army, but you have a brigade, brigade. You have platoons, stuff like that, and it just kind of it flowed, and we started saying Air Raid Brigade over and over and over again, and it just turned into A R B. Which is great, a three-letter acronym for Air Raid Brigade, and it kind of started morphing because we started putting uh, attention to it. And we went through fall camp. Uh, we came up with a call sign for ARB, so it was Take Flight, and then it just started morphing into into things. So you have to earn your wings. Uh, we're going to work on having call signs for each kid, so they call me Pilot. I'm not Coach Weaver. I'm not. I don't get hung up on not being called a coach. Uh, they call me pilot, which, you know, if you're not an ARB, you're probably not going to call me pilot. Um, so it's something cool that our kids are doing. Uh, we're playing off the Top Gun. You have to watch Top Gun uh, when you're an ARB. You have to understand what that, that movie is about.
1: You guys play Kenny Loggins' Highway to the Danger Zone uh, regularly, whether, whether you're in your classroom or on the field.
0: Yeah, so we were working out the other day. And uh, was it Thursday or Friday? No, Thursday uh, of last week. And we had some music going on the field and we played Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone. And right off the bat, the first three notes, they had,
1: oh, A-R-B. It's like, you got it, guys. That's it. Uh, I think it's so funny that uh, you've given yourselves a cliche, take flight. You know, as I look at some of these examples that we've talked about, the electric company, we turn the juice on. The Purple People Eaters, the Minnesota Vikings in the '70s. Their motto was, "Hey, we'll meet you at the quarterback," you know, and that's yeah. I think that's important to selling that identity and uh, rallying people behind a cause.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think that's important. Uh, there, I think there's some listeners though, JT, that are going to say, "Well, it's all about our team." If you're the Patriots, if you're the Monarchs, if you're the Browns, if you're the pa- if you're the Rebels, if you're whatever, the Raiders, that I don't want you to think that that trumps your team. No, it's just a different identity that you're going to have inside of your team that creates player ownership. It does not take place of who you are uh, as a team of 70 or a team of 40. Uh, Don't get that misconception.
1: No, I think that's a great point, too, to remind people. One of the things that we do when we build culture is we need to purposefully and intentionally – create rich jewels and i think one of the things that i've seen you grow on is now when you have your your duffel bags your, your travel team issued duffel bag they have that same special travel team issued duffel bag the patriot duffel bag from mra
0: that's right
1: but just above their name or number is just a little bit of a set of wings there that shows that they're a member of that arb that's right. a, just a cut above just another subgroup that they're a part of
0: right and you know we we talk about how it's exclusive membership, and I think that's important, too. They call my classroom the hangar. That's where we watch film, and it's just little little things that give them a sense of identity. I mean, let's face it, JT, people want to be a part of something, and yes, everybody is on our football team, but it's special to be a part of ARB. Uh, it does not require you to be a super athlete. If you're a receiver and you're in our position group, you're, you're an ARB, and you're going to earn your wings, and you're going to have a call sign. So when we get into fall camp, that's the name we call those guys.
1: I think it's powerful. Uh, you're going to hear in one of our upcoming podcasts an interview that I do with our head football coach, Chad Van Clyde And uh, we talk about how five years ago, six years ago, when I got to Denison – Our team needed an identity. We didn't have one. Yeah, we're the monarchs. And yeah, we've got our phrases, believe in something bigger than yourself. But that's for everybody. That's all inclusive. Um, One of the things that gave us an identity was the phrase pound the stone. And if you're familiar with Joshua Medcalf's book, and I've actually, uh, before I wrote my own book, More Than the Game, I actually got to be a contributor to this book, Pound the Stone. So I'm listed in the back. And it's one of the things that we use with our team. So there's a phrase, the stonecutter's credo is, when nothing seems to help, I go and I look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundredth and first blow, it will split into two. And I know it was not that blow that did it, but it was all the others that had gone before. And so when we talked to our group about pound the stone, pound the stone, we started putting in our presentations. We handed out little rubber wristbands for every kid to have. Uh, we would break down we' break it down at the end of practice we'd say pound the stone on three one two three pound the stone and it's a hundred bodies screaming it and that's what football is to me it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. you're not sure how the thing's gonna end. you're not sure if what you're doing is really making a difference uh, and all of a sudden the stone splits and the gates open up. And things start to go, and everything is working. And you're like, at that point, all of the effort that I'd put in is starting to pay off. And that's the identity that I want to give my running backs. You know, you think about running running the ball. First of all, what a really tough job. You're behind you're running behind your hogs, you're running behind your old line. Uh, but it's just you and everybody sees you, and it's kind of a glamorous position, but at the same time, no one takes the shots. Than a running back does throughout a game on a power run team and that's who we are at the end of the day and you might have a gain of one and then a gain of six and then a gain of negative three and then one and then six and then negative two and back and forth it goes and then all of a sudden you break one for 65 yards all of a sudden the stone splits and so next year when we get back in our unit and we're starting to do more as track comes and we're doing off-season workouts but as I start to become around those guys more often in the spring and in the summer, I really want us to be called the stone cutters. We're looking for that stone to split and we're going to keep hammering and hammering and hammering. And we're going to have the faith that it's going to break open at some point.
0: That JT, that's powerful. How you can even take your uh, team's motto of pound the stone and incorporate a position group and to being called stone cutters, where those guys, they take a beating every game. I mean, you you think about linebackers and D-line. I mean, you watched the Saints game yesterday with the Eagles defense. I mean, uh, Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram were taking a pounding. But then I saw at the end of the game how that stone split, and he gets the first down that they need to seal the game with Kamara, what he does. So seeing that, uh, you know – I want to encourage other coaches and other listeners to create cool identities within your team with maybe your running backs. Or as I'm challenging right now, our defensive back coach and our defensive coordinator, since we're ARB and airplanes and taking flight, that our defense, uh, when we go to seven on seven, is the no-fly zone. And with no-fly zone, we take out the word seven on seven and call it a dogfight. So everything is starting to surround uh, about airplanes and dogfighting, and, and it's, it creates a cool, hip culture. But, yeah, you're still doing football. You're still doing everything. You're still having position meetings. You're still doing everything that a coach wants to do. You're still grading film, but it gives a certain piece of uh, intentionality. It gives a, a piece of who that coach is. And it, I I help. I just can't help but think it it brings players and coaches together being a subunit
1: for, for sure. I think what you're doing is you're building excitement. You're taking what the, has been done in the past. You're taking what everybody does and you're making it your own and you're selling it to your kids and you're excited about it. And you're in it, too. I coached DBs one of my first years here. That's what we were we were the no fly zone. And our kids would take their arms and they would shoot them down to their hips on every breakup that they had or every incomplete pass. And then, you know, you got all the corners and the two safeties would come together and they'd all jump in the air at the same time and they'd hit their backs. And, uh, we were just a small unit, you know, no big plays. That was what we were celebrating. And we did it with just us four. And then we always would laugh as the wide receiver would jog back to the huddle. And, uh, you know they're disappointed, and then they got to talk to their old, their wide receiver coach about why they didn't perform well. And I mean, you take you take pride in that, you know. And it's no different than what Pete Carroll believes and what he writes about in his book Win Forever, where he talks about um, keep score every day. And so if you can, if you don't just go to seven on seven, you go into a dog fight, and you are the air you're an A R B member or you're a member of the no-fly zone, there's going to be a winner, there's going to be a loser every play. And then at the end of the period, you've got either your team was able to get it done or you weren't. And um, I think that's really powerful.
0: I think there are small, simple ways that we can get this done uh, if you're intentional about it. You know, And, and like you said about culture, it, it brings people together. And we're it's, not inventing anything new, JT. No. Because it's been done forever. But you're seeing more of it done with the people like Clemson, where it's on TV and it's evident and you see it every day. And that's what's starting to win in today's game.
1: You know, and I think the more you can do what you already do, the less you have to invent, the more authentic it's going to be. You know, when I use the phrases the most was with the second team, the guys that aren't the starters but are getting the rep. You know, like, no one's excited when the second team's on the field. Like, that's that's the hardest time for me to coach because those are the kids that need the most coaching, and they have the least success because they're going against the first team. Right. So if you can start to make that as part of your culture, and, you know, there's nothing sexy about the run game that we run with our second team. It's trap, and it's power, and it's iso, and, you know, it's like, oh, you're either getting three yards or you're not because our offensive goals tell us we want to be efficient. We want four yards on first down. We want half the distance on second down and we want to pick up the first on third and fourth. And if we're going to run and if we are able to hit that and we can run and get a first down, we're going to do that as opposed to putting the ball in the air. So Tom Osborne had a famous quote on that for just to plug the Huskers here real quick. Uh The the man, the myth, the legend, Tom Osborne, he used to say, you don't want to throw the ball too much because uh, there's only three things that can happen. And two of them are bad.
0: Well, that goes totally against what we do. Uh, we are a big play offense. We're, you know, we're we're looking for explosive plays, and we're we had to create some excitement. You know, one of our kids said today, Coach, I, I, ARB gave me a sense of of pride because we were the most competitive group on the field, and uh, you, they did. They didn't know who was starting uh, from game one to game two uh, because it was predicated on how you practiced that week. And creating competition within your group is always huge. So opposed to your stone cutters, we're airing that thing out uh, about 35 times a game.
1: Well, I I mean, it's okay. I don't compete against you. So, uh, you know, you do your thing and we'll do how we do it up here and up up north. But uh, I I just think it's powerful. And I think it's about bringing energy and excitement and any more selling to kids giving them an experience. That's what it is. Because the members that are going to leave your program, mm. 95% of them are not going to play college football. They're, they're going to be done. They're going to hang it up. And they're only going to be left with the memories that you have. But, man, they're always going to be members of the ARB.
0: My charge to coaches is take them on a journey. Just don't be an XO football coach where power's the best play or running mesh, and that's all you talk about with them. Uh, have a sense of identity within your team with a position group that you coach.
1: Tell me about your ARB with how you're building that into your own personal brand and then how you want your kids to start including that on like their Twitter handle.
0: You know, I, I told him, I was like, be a part of something. So now I'm the Air Raid Brigade CEO. You know, they call me Pilot, like I've said before. But having, having that relationship with these guys, uh, I tell them, look, put – Put it on your Twitter so when college coaches look at you, that's a that's an icebreaker question for them. like, hey, what's ARB? What's uh, what does this mean by Air Raid Brigade? What do y'all do? What what does it look like inside your unit? What does it look like inside of you know the hangar uh, when y'all go?
1: You're starting to have them put put it on their Twitter. You know, say that they're in their bio, they're a member of the ARB, and then take flight, and then. It's all branding and it's all energy and excitement and going back to an identity.
0: Right. So when we came out of the, and this kind of just happened and this is what we were talking about, like let your kids have ownership of it. Let them literally take it wherever you want to go. I sent you a picture earlier this week of our quarterback coming out of the tunnel and having his arms spread out and he's acting like he's flying. So that's, I'm trying to challenge our guys. Like, Hey, that's, that's really cool guys. Like, why don't you do that? Like, we could do that when, you know, we have a big player or something, I was like, you could just hope you don't get flagged, but, you know, creating, creating some kind of, I, I'd hate for our head coach to, to know, when did we get that 15 yard penalty, well, we were, we were flying around coach. So we're probably going to do it during pregame uh, when we run on the field or something like that, but that's something they want to do. Um, you know how some people have a belt or a backpack or a chain or something like that. Uh, we're working on something for us to do uh, during the week, but I'm not making it oriented with, with play of how they play that week or how they practice that week. I, I might let them play uh, the day of the game or something, play Madden and pick two guys that had a good week of practice. And that guy that wins Madden gets to bring the whatever we decide on. I mean, we haven't decided. That's the next part of our our branding is one kid said, maybe coach we could put Buzz Lightyear wings on us or something like that. And I was like, uh, we could. We could put Buzz Lightyear wings on us. Uh, so we could do something. so, Let them have their imagination. uh, Let it run wild and uh, see where it goes for you.
1: Coach Weaver, I think that it's so important that you mentioned that culture is not performance-based. You mentioned how you're building a ritual within your team right now that that you don't even know what it's going to be when it's next season. But some kind of intro, some kind of kid carrying something in, something for the team to rally behind, another part of your identity. I think it's really important people understand It's not your best player that's the culture leader. If that's the one who drives your culture, that's great, and that will increase buy-in, but it is not based on performance. Culture is something that affects everybody. Here's a quick definition that has really helped me understand what culture is. Culture is how to act, how to communicate, and how we treat each other.
0: Absolutely. So We were in the weight room, JT, uh, last Thursday. Or last Friday, and you know we talk about what's your culture in the weight room. It needs to be the same on the field. What's the culture in the locker room? It Needs to be the same on the field. How's your culture when you're walking around school or when you're in class? It needs to be the same. So I pose the question to them: Are you hanging in? Are you hanging on? Or are you hanging out? And that's with any member of any team or any student in any classroom. Either, A, you're you're hanging in is what you should be doing. You either hanging on, which you definitely don't want to be hanging on, it means you're being left behind. Or if you're hanging out, you're not bought in at all and you're not engaged. And I think that's huge with, with your culture going forward. And I think that starts with coaches, is you have to demand all of your kids hanging in, not just hanging on and hanging out. And getting those players that are that are maybe hanging out. Bought into who who you who you are as a culture by guys that have been on the team longer. Uh, they understand who you are as a team, and they they tell it to those guys. They this is who we are, you know. And that goes back to what you said. You know, it helps them uh, communicate how to treat each other. You know, and that's that's important for any sports team or any school in general.
1: It's that social emotional learning. And that is more important today than ever in society before, because we lack those skills today. And I think it's so important that what you say with hanging in, hanging on, hanging out, if you, one, you're telling the student that you care about them. And two, you're using your relationship with them to try to relate to them on a real level.
0: That's right. Every, every day has to be intentional and our, our slogan two years ago is everything matters. And I think everything needs to matter on every team, uh, in every school. Everything matters with how you do, what you do inside of your classroom, on your field, in your locker room, in the weight room, in position meetings. Uh, everything matters. So you have to live it every day.
1: Mike Leach used to say that you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. Mm. And that's, that's exactly what culture is. You're either coaching it, and telling them specifically what it's like to be a member of the ARB, or you're allowing whatever their default is to happen.
0: That's right. Well, good stuff today. As uh, we close out this episode, that I mean, that was a that was a powerful message, I think, to our listeners, and especially to coaches who are just now on the culture journey, who are reading books and uh, trying to identify who they are. Maybe they just took over a new job and they're at a new school at a new team. Or maybe this is their fifth year or sixth year out of school and they want something different for their team rather than just um, you know, finishing eight and three. Uh, or maybe
1: so. you've got 20 years in and you're having a hard time coaching the 21st century athlete, trying to get them to buy in, trying to get them to do all the things that you've expected throughout your long-established career. Yeah. Wherever you are in the culture journey, find something that works for you and then take these tools and try them.
0: Yeah, just like Coach K uh, at duke you know he he had a hard time connecting you saw those funny commercials uh, about the emojis and all that stuff that he he was sending his players and didn't even know what it meant but you sent the emojis and uh you got to know who your players are uh it's the 21st century athlete like you said you, you got to know uh what makes them tick and once you find out what makes them tick it's going to make your journey uh of coaching more than a job it's going to be fun for you and your staff
1: Thanks for joining us in the Culture Classroom today. Go follow us on Twitter at CultureClass19 and tag us and let us know what's your identity that you've created within your team or group of people that you lead. doesn't have to be anything complex, just what you call yourselves, what's the purpose behind it. Uh, thanks for joining us today.